0: Welcome to the Food Junkies Recovery Story Podcast. Here we aim to provide you with the experience, strength, and hope of everyday people actively working on their recovery from food addiction. I hope to inspire you and increase your awareness about recovery from food addiction. Here we will talk about personal stories of recovery and the many ways to live in recovery. We will focus on the various solutions so that you can choose the best option for yourself. I want to encourage you to thrive rather than just survive. So stay positive, Make changes for yourself, tell others about your changes, and our message of hope will spread. Well, Food Junkies Recovery Story listeners, we have a treat for you today. My good friend, Debbie matatol is here to tell her story of resilience and hope. And I remember meeting Debbie for the first time uh, in our groups with Sweet Sobriety And just being in awe of how far she has come and the improvements that she has made in her own journey. And she is one of my dear friends. And I love talking to her because she always has a great perspective on how I can improve my own recovery. So thank you for joining us today, Debbie. Oh, it's a
1: pleasure to be here. So we're going to jump
0: right right No, I was just going
1: to say thank thank you for asking me to uh, tell my story.
0: Oh, this is this is going to be awesome. I am looking forward to hearing more about your story. So we're going to just jump right in with a few, a few questions, and let's just see how it goes. It's just mm-hmm. conversation, so this should be fun. So the first question I like to start off with is, and you can go as in-depth as you'd like. You can start wherever you want, but just kind of tell me your personal journey with addiction and recovery and how you got started, what it looked like any way okay. that you want to talk to our listeners.
1: Okay. Well, I, re- I remember as a little girl sneaking chocolates at Christmas, my grandfather ran a a service station garage and uh, the salesman always brought in these big pounds and pounds and pounds of boxes of chocolate. And he always gave one to, to me and my siblings. And I can remember getting into that when no one was looking and just gorging on it. That's my first memory of, overeating on sugar. Um, I also remember my first diet at 16 and I was so proud of myself. I lost, I had nothing to lose when I looked back, but I lost a little tummy. But I also remember the subsequent binge that followed that first diet. Um, I grew up in a bit of a dysfunctional family. My dad drank a lot. In other words, he was, would today be classed as an alcoholic, I'm sure. My mom did the best she knew, but I never had emotional development model to me. So the only way I knew to deal with it was to eat. Um, Throughout my adult years, I was always dieting. I bought every fat diet book that went on the market. When we moved a few years ago, I probably gave 30 books to Goodwill on every diet going. I tried everything. I was a Weight Watchers Lifetime member. I was... I did the cabbage soup. I did it all. Um, But anyway, I always ended up binging and regaining the weight I lost. And as I got older, there were always extra pounds. I always wanted to lose the weight for the wrong reasons. It would be an event or a function or a vacation. And then return to everyday life and binge again. Um, Fast forward to 2007, after I suffered a work injury in 2002, um, subsequently having both shoulders operated on, I was put on permanent disability. I went through a severe depression at this time and gained more weight than I ever had in my lifetime, going to my highest. Uh, In 2017, I found keto. Well, thinking this was the magic bullet. I did well on it, but I had never given up sweeteners and so therefore continued to struggle. Uh, In 2022, I believe it was spring, I became aware of Clarissa and Molly and Food Junkies. And they were offering one more audit on uh, a a food addiction research clinical study. So I reached out to Clarissa and got accepted. I had read a book in the early nineties called Potatoes Not Prozac. And my takeaway was that even though I didn't have an alcohol or a narcotics addiction, the same gene presented for food addiction. And I always remember that one, I I still have the book and I'm gonna reread it again one of these days, but that has always stuck in my mind because my dad was an alcoholic, my mom was a food addict uh, sugar addict, and I got the gene. I've always been thankful because in 2002 until 2022, I was on a lot of heavy duty meds, uh, including narcotics for my chronic pain from my work injuries. And I've since gotten off of all the meds, but was very thankful that I mean, it could have gone south really fast with my genetic makeup for addiction. Uh, I was just very thankful that I was able to stop all those drugs for other health reasons. They were causing other problems in my body. Anyway, I, after having found Molly and Clarissa, um, what an eye-opener. And I knew way into the journey with them, I knew going in, I had, playing in the back of my mind that sh- the sweeteners had to go they were just causing too much noise too much chatter and they were preventing me from achieving my ultimate goal which was freedom from food chatter um uh again i had, wrote a few things here so i persevered with giving up the sweeteners it wasn't easy it was mid-july that i made the decision um We are at our cottage for five, six months of the year and we have grandchildren, of which we have nine. We have always someone there. And they don't eat my way and serving them this, that, the other thing was not easy. I struggled, but I um, I had, through the research audit, both glutamine and coconut oil had been recommended and I utilized that four times a day. I did my Every time I served ice cream, I took a shot of glutamine and or uh, of the coconut oil. Like that was that was my go-to. So that's pretty much been my story. Um I ha- I've had a we've had a lot of life events in 23. I had knee surgery in May, and within two weeks of that, I I had a partial knee replacement. Within two weeks of that, we lost two dear family members. Then the end of June, June 30th, our 41-year-old daughter was diagnosed with a stroke, which she's still struggling from. She still hasn't been able to return to teaching. And then I've been my mom's caregiver, I say, for 20 years. Uh, She lived with us for two years in the uh, mid-teen years, like 16, 17, 18. Then she made the decision to go to a nursing home, and it's an hour away. So I spent twice a week Well, when she first went in, I went every day for about three weeks because she she went and then she didn't want to be there. But anyway, we persevered. And so I've been my mom's caregiver for many, many years. Um, And I lost her in November. So um, it's been it's been a struggle. But throughout it all, when we got the phone call, we were at our cottage and we had our daughter's little girl with us. And she had to go to another health center. And so this was 4.30 4.30 in the afternoon, and uh, we just had to get to the city. We had to get the boys. One was golfing. One was playing baseball. We had to be there for when they come home. And uh, so we're driving by the first town at like 6 p.m., and I said to my husband, we have to feed Emilia. So I said, just do a drive-through. I, we can't take time to do anything else. And my immediate thought was, oh, I can get. And I started listing all the foods in my head that I hadn't had in over a year. Or going on a year at that point. And as we're pulling in, I'm like, no, you're not. You can't. If you you do that, that's you're down the rabbit hole and you may never come back. And you will be no good. Because I have never lost the memory of how miserable I felt when I was in all the foods that don't agree with my body. So I just kept, that was my mantra. You will be no good to crystal you will be no good to the children you will be no good to yourself if you go down this rabbit hole so i've just managed to maintain my sobriety through all that so yeah i remember, that's pretty-
0: going, yeah, I remember going through all of that with you when your daughter was diagnosed when your mother passed away with the knee surgeries and all that. And I just remember you showing up even when you didn't want to be there and talking when you didn't want to talk and um, just being so, I just thought you showed up so authentically and this is what's going on and this is how I'm struggling. And that speaks volumes to the kind of person that you are, Debbie. And I really appreciate it. Sorry, I'm getting so emotional about it because... I really appreciate when people show up and say, I'm struggling, because we all go through that.
1: Oh, it's um, been it's been hard and yeah, the I remember receiving the first email about this Sweet Sobriety monthly meetings, coaching meetings. And uh I sat with it for about a I don't know, a month, I guess. And then I thought, no, I'm gonna do this. And that has been huge in my recovery, being part of a community of women and men going through similar struggles, but ultimately food is at the root of most of our struggles. And and yeah, there's meetings I don't want to share, but at the end it, it's better to do that. And uh, yeah, it's been a huge part of my recovery.
0: Yeah, it, you know, it's about the food until it's not about the food. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Um, and so I'm going back just a little bit because I remember when you were, when you were talking about your first diet at 16 and how proud you were, I can totally relate to that. My first diet was at about 13. I was not as successful as you were at 13, as you were at 16, but I did do one around 16 or 17 where I was pretty successful at it. But I distinctly remember going after my last weigh in a diet center, if y'all, if even, if remember that one um, and going to Baskin and Robbins and having a triple scoop of ice cream, I still, I can still see myself not really. It's kind of fuzzy, but I can see myself standing there ordering that ice cream and just thinking about, oh my gosh, this is so wonderful. And I'm thin too. Isn't this awesome? Yeah. no, not knowing then what I know now that I was not going to stay there. Yeah,
1: well, I can remember being a lifetime weight watcher member as a fairly young mom. I suppose I'd be in my 30s. And I you had to go once a month to maintain your membership. So I'd go, I'd keep, the weight would fluctuate five, six pounds. I would starve myself to get within my two pound allowable. I'd go away in, sometimes stay for the meeting, not always. But I was front and center was keeping that membership. I would leave there and I would go to our equivalent to your Starbucks or Or, uh, well, it's Tim's here. I would go and I'd get my said food and I'd be off to the races again until another month rolled around or a week before that month was up. And then I would do the, you know, asinine things so hard on ourselves.
0: Yes, very much so. You also yeah. said something about in there about the the sweeteners. So can you tell me a little bit more about what the, what the sweeteners were doing to you and why it was that you decided to get rid of
1: them, the artificial sweeteners that is? Yes, yes, artificial sweeteners, yeah. Um well, I came from a family of bakers. I mean, I grew up this way my my own kids grew up this way sadly because I didn't know any better when they were little. You didn't just have a batch of homemade cookies. You had a choice of three or four home baked things I mean my mom even made our homemade bread I never went that far it was too much work but um (laughs) uh the sweets were always there so when I went keto I fell down the rabbit hole of keto sweets which use sweeteners I did an online uh, ice cream making masterclass. I mean I did it all and I don't know why I decided one day to check my sugar. My husband's diabetic. So I thought, I must check my sugar to spit out of it. And it had started to creep up. Like there were days it was over seven. And I was like, I am not. I refuse to be a diabetic. My dad was a diabetic. Had he lived long enough, he was probably going to lose a foot. Um, there's diabetes all over the family, heart conditions. My mom had Parkinson's. So some of my wives. I did not want to be diabetic if I can control it through diet. Um, Last time I had my blood sugar checked, or my A1C, it was five. And previous to letting the sweeteners go, it was six. So that's pre-diabetic. So I'm very proud of that. My mom had Parkinson's and therefore uh, Parkinson-related dementia. And I did, I mean, there's no guarantee I won't take Parkinson's because it can be familial. But at the same time, I do feel that mom's chronic abuse of food and sugars over her 87 years led to some of her concerns, some of her problems. Um, yeah, so I just, I and then as I say, before the I started the audit, I thought, you know, I, I read a lot and I listen to a lot. And I thought, oh, I really think they're going to have to go. And so I just made the decision to do that.
0: What cha- what um, improvements have you seen since you since you let those artificial sweeteners go?
1: Oh my goodness! Brain fog is totally gone. Clarity of thoughts. Uh, freedom from food calling my name. Um, even physically, I feel better. Because I I just don't think most of them are probably good for us. They're chemicals at the end of the day. And uh, yeah, I just overall wellness, I just feel so much better. That's awesome. Um,
0: Can you tell me a little bit now, how did you use the glutamine and um, you
1: said coconut oil? Uh, Coconut oil, yeah. Yeah. I could have it wrong, but I think it was either Bitten Johnson or Dr. Unwin in Europe that recommended it it did come through Molly and Clarissa during our audit, but you take one teaspoon of glutamine, the powder, in regular water. You, you can't do it in uh, sparkling. Um, I believe it was recommended four times a day, so I would do it in the morning, afternoon, uh, and and I and uh, after dinner, and I'd do it in the evening if I felt snacky because that was a very bad habit of mine, snacking in the evenings. And uh, and then you also t- took a tablespoon of coconut oil in warm water, like tepid water, and drowned it, uh, downed it, drank it down. Yeah. And All right. Whether it was psychological or it really worked, I don't know, but it got me through some pretty tough times.
0: I will say that um, I used the glutamine, L-glutamine, for a, for a little while in the afternoon. My I call it my witching hour is between four and seven p.m. Okay, and if I can make it past that gauntlet, then I then I, I'm, I'm okay. Um, typically. And that was one of the tricks that I would use, uh, was the L-glutamine from that four to seven.
1: Um,
0: I probably used that for a good
1: good long while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I still have some, I bought another container last summer. I thought, "Mm, don't like to be without it. And it's good for your gut too. It's good for your, your gut health. So I thought, well, it won't go to waste. So I haven't utilized it in a while, but it's there if I want it.
0: Yeah. It's a good, um, it's good to have in your back pocket you know, keep it in the cabinet close by. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. So thank you for sharing that with us. So I'm going to, I you touched on it just a little bit, but um, how did you overcome obstacles or setbacks or anything like that? You touched on that just a little bit in your
1: story, but
0: yeah. are there anything springing to mind?
1: Um, well, I, I was given these questions some thought. Um, having let the sweeteners go, I'm not bragging, but I mean, I do have some yellow foods that rear their head from time to time and I have to talk to myself to let them go and not have them in the house all the time. But as far as red food, my red foods go, I can't say that I can, I can say that I've never, never had anything that, that I gave up. Um, I just find I've let black and white thinking go in regard to it's got to be this way. But I still have black and white thinking when it comes to my foods. They're just there's my foods, quote unquote, and there's foods that I just don't, don't even consider. Um, I mean, going, going out socializing, at first it was rough. And when we're at the cottage, we have a lot of invites in the summer, barbecues and brunches and so on and so forth. And my go-to was to eat before I went. I'd have eggs and bacon and avocado. If it was three in the afternoon and we were going for our dinner hour barbecue, I would make sure I was good and full before I went. So those were just some strategies that I used. Um,
0: That's awesome. I like mm -hmm. that. Eat before you go. One of the tricks that I would often use, because we socialize and it's in the evening and I eat fairly early. Um, and I would uh, hold a glass of something. I would go. Get, my husband would either go get me a glass of sparkling water, or I'd have a water. And then, people, like, oh, can I get something for you? And I'm like, I'm good. I would hold up my beverage. You know, people just want to. They want to be kind and considerate. I, for the most part, I found most people don't care what you're eating or drinking. There's exceptions to that rule. Yeah, but for I the remember the first.
1: I remember the first barbecue we went to that summer that I was still in the audit, and I remember reaching out to on the WhatsApp group to some of the members that were in my group. And I was, I was angry because I, and I was scared. And that's when one of them said to me, eat, eat now, eat lots before you go. And, uh, I remember getting there and by the time the meal was being served, uh, I had started chatting to a cousin's husband who loves to talk and I ate right through, I chatted rather right through everybody eating. Uh, I had, uh, you know, we were offered what we wanted on the barbecue and all I wanted was a hamburger patty and I did have some veggies with it. But I left there just feeling like I was on top of the world because I had mastered my first social event and I didn't eat because I could easily have. I mean, this would have been August, maybe early September of that year. And I was still very, very new. But I, uh, I tried so many times in my life to lose weight. And I would gain weight and I would say to myself, just be happy the way you are. Other people do it, just, but, and I would try for a while and then I just ultimately could not accept feeling rotten. And in my eyes, I was well overweight. So, yeah, I mean, I'm down 70 pounds since, yeah, in the last few years. And, but, you know, when I started the sugar audit, I was down about 20 at that point. And I had said to myself, now, Fast forward another 18 months. Would I still feel this way? I don't know. But my goal going into it was if I could quiet the brain chatter and quiet the cravings, if I never lost another pound, I would be happy. And so I've just maintained my way of eating and I've done nothing different. I'm a fair weather walker. I I'll go in our gym there in in the building, get on the treadmill once in a while. But I've changed nothing other than letting the sweeteners go, which has enhanced my keto way of eating. And the weight has just fallen off.
0: That's amazing. I remember having a similar conversation with myself and saying, I'll just be happy with the size that I am, but I want to get rid of the cravings. And I wanted the food to stop dictating my life. I wanted to be able to go and do what I wanted to go and do and not have to think about it constantly. So I, I really understand that train of thought. You mentioned something when you were talking about red foods and some of our listeners might not be familiar with that term red foods. So could you explain what you mean by that?
1: Sure. So for me, I eat pretty much keto, sometimes carnivore, but not too often. So my red foods are anything that's sugar. Processed, grains, sweeteners. Um I think I've covered all the categories. So basically I eat. I heard it said one time, if it walks, talk, if it walked, talked or grew in the ground or on the ground, I'll eat it. So basically the perimeters of your food markets.
0: So the red foods are the foods that you don't eat. And then you have
1: to the ones that you do eat are green foods. Green foods, yeah. Yeah. And my yellow foods, one example is cashews. I can't moderate them anymore. So I know if I bring a little tin into the house, they're not going to last a couple of days and they'll be gone. So I try not to bring them in very often um, because I just I can't moderate them.
0: Yeah, I believe I understand the nuts. I think for the nuts, for me personally, it's that hand-to-mouth thing. It's the same thing with popcorn. I'm not a big popcorn eater. I would eat nuts over popcorn, but mm-hmm. that same thing. It's like it's the constant putting something in your mouth the whole time, and it's use yeah. And and I was never a candy eater when I was younger, but it, towards the end, I was a candy eater, and that was the same thing. I just yeah. wanted to pick it up with my hands and put it in my
1: mouth and to keep that going. Yeah. And I think salt is a big part of it, too, because I was a big chip eater. I liked it all. I mean, sugar and like give me a bar and chips together. Oh, my God, I was in heaven. But um, and I've heard people say they just don't bring salted nuts into the house. And I'm like, well, that's not even there's no sense in bringing them home if there's no salt on them. <laughs> so I don't get big Costco gigantic serving anymore. I've gone down to just the TNN. I do have them occasionally, but. Um, they are, a, I know they are a yellow food.
0: Yeah. My husband will sometimes roast the cashews and I might go by and grab a couple, but that's the extent of it. I'm, I'm I, so I totally get the nut thing. Yeah. So you mentioned a book, one of the books that you really enjoyed reading, um, Potatoes, uh,
1: Prozac. Potatoes, uh, Potatoes, not Prozac.
0: Okay. Are there yep. any other books that you have found extremely helpful for in your journey?
1: Food Junkies by Dr. Tarman. Uh, yes. In my early keto journey, uh, I used to follow a lady on on uh, uh, podcasts and on Dr. Eric Westman's uh, keto site, she, uh, Amy Berger, and she wrote a book called Alzheimer's Antidote. And because my mom had dementia, this book spoke to me and how processed food slash sugar contributes It can be a little sciencey, but I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Of course, I read it. I was part of Dr. Westman's first uh, Keto Masterclass. And uh, of course, I read his book. Um, Brene Jones, I came across her. I'm not sure if she's a psychologist. I'm not sure of her her training, but she's on um, one of the Facebook groups I follow. And I get uh, I see her on Instagram. She wrote a book what's really eating you. And it's about triggers, baggage, and coping strategies. And that one really spoke to me as well. And I mean, I read a lot, I've got a lot of other books, but one I just bought, and I'm anxious to get into is uh, Dr. Georgia Eads. She's a psychiatrist, and and she's a big proponent of keto. And she's even gone carnivore herself a time or two. Uh, She has uh youtube videos and she's interviewed a lot anyway the name of hers is change change your diet change your mind and it's coming from the psychiatric perspective and i do i have suffered with depression over the years and i still do take a very mild i tried to go without it a year and a half ago and then it with everything in life it didn't work so i'm back on a very mild dose But I do believe what we eat affects depression as well. Excuse me. And so, yeah, that's sort of my go-to for reading.
0: Those are good ones. Um, You mentioned coping strategies, which actually is a really great uh, segue into, have you found alternative or complementary approaches that you found helpful in in your recovery?
1: Well, as far as my eating goes, I do prioritize protein um I stopped weighing myself frequently I still get on sporadic and when I say sporadic excuse me maybe once a month I don't even know what's that often I haven't gotten rid of the scales I like to check in once in a while at one point it was twice a month it was like the first and the 15th now like I say I don't even know when I, I might have been on once since Christmas because I go by my clothes um I continue to do 99 of the courses offered through Sweet Sobriety and so through those I've learned. Many, many techniques. I, I like breathing. It works for me. Um, a big one, one of my strategies that I uh, um, cemented early on was just commitment to myself. I was doing this for myself and not for any banter, not for anyone else. I had said to my daughter at one point, because none of my family eat this way, but they're very respectful of my choices. Um, I do see me wearing off on our daughter that had the stroke a little bit. She's coming to realize that uh, some of the things that she was eating weren't serving her well. Um, but, yeah, I lost my train of thought. That's all right. <laughs> so Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, just self-commitment and, and through the courses, yes, um, uh, putting myself first because I'm no good to anyone else if I don't look after myself and do my own self-care. So I'm still working. I'm a work in progress with meditating. I'm still struggling with that, but I've uh, started listening to Andrew Huberman. He's a neuroscientist um, affiliated with Harvard, but his podcasts are all done. They're not not Harvard-affiliated. They're his own personal journey. Um, he, are I you talking across,
0: about Huberman? Are you talking about yeah, Huberman? Huberman uh, podcast.
1: Stanford, isn't it? Stanford. Stanford. Maybe. Okay. Yes. I've stand corrected. It's probably a Stanford. Um, anyhow, he talks about yoga Nidra and it's not, it's not, um, uh, exercise based yoga. It's relaxation and my sleep is still not best. So I've been, practicing that to see if that will help just work on, on that aspect of it. So, so yeah, I mean, work in progress, really.
0: I love Huberman's podcast. He actually just did one. I don't, I think it's about four or five episodes old now, but he interviewed Dr. Lustig and I've heard Dr. Lustig interviewed many times before, Mm -hmm. but that was such an amazing podcast. I sent it out so many times to so many people because I just think it's, it's such good information that it should be in the hands of everyone. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: I really Oh, am. I know
1: where I was going when I lost my train of thought. That's okay. that's because I'm getting old. I, I remember <laughs> saying to my daughter, uh, I don't want you guys to have to visit me in a nursing home the way I've had to visit my mom for five years, six almost six years. And not that I didn't want to visit her, but never knowing when I walked in each day if she was going to know me or not. Um, for a while, I always knew because she I get a big smile and she'd say, there's my girl. And then there were other days like she'd just look right through me and my husband. I'd be like, no, nope, no recognition today. And so Crystal, she laughed and she said, oh, mom, we'll still visit you. But I said, That's another why just I want to try to preserve my brain cells as long as possible. And the way I was eating was not going to wasn't going to be a good outcome, I didn't think. And there's still no guarantee that I won't develop, uh, you know, some form of dementia, depending on how long one lives. But I'm just trying to do everything within my power and my scope to be the best I can be for as long as I can be.
0: That was one of my big whys as well, um, for my children, uh, because my youngest is 15 and I'm 57 and I was like, oh my gosh, if I'm, you know, if I end up where my mother ended up and, and, in, in her early seventies, mm-hmm. my youngest daughter won't even have me around that long. And yeah. I, I think that's kind of unfair that I brought her in and now I'm checking out now, if something happens that's beyond my control, that's one thing. But there are some things that are in my control, and that was that's one right. of my big one. Yeah. And that's that's my
1: outlook as well. If, if I can control it, I'm going to do my best to do that. And I have a 13 year old grandson. <laughs> he just turned <laughs> he just turned 13 the end of January. I'm like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? But yeah, we have nine grandchildren right from two months up to 13, and I want to be around in a good frame of mind and good health for as many years as possible with them and with our three children.
0: I totally get it. So are there any common misconceptions about addiction and recovery that you think are important to our listeners?
1: Number one for me is just moderate, moderation. I spent 63 years trying to moderate, and it never, never worked. Um, the other one I think I touched on already was black and white thinking, which I was superior at all my life. It, it was either this way or the highway. And if you slipped at lunch, then you might as well just blow it the whole day. If you slipped on a Friday, well, you may as well just binge till Monday. Now it's like, okay, we're, we're eating out. I made this choice. Um, Uh, when we we eat out a fair amount and a lot of that had to do with traveling to see my mom because we'd be there for nine in the morning and we'd stay till after her lunch and then we'd leave so it'd be one one thirty we still had an hour ahead of us so we'd stop for lunch somewhere and I for the longest while made just black and white choices and then one day last summer uh, we went to this pub in town and I was like and they're noted for their fish and chips. And I was like, oh, I said to my husband, I would love to have fish. And of course, it's battered. And he said, "We'll have it. And I thought, well, you know what? I hear Molly saying, just be curious. So I ordered it. And of course, I get sweet potato fries because I allow myself those once in a while. And they cooked the cleanest? No. But that's where I've let go of the black and white. So I had the fish and chips. Yeah, there's flour in the batter. But. It did not affect me one way or the other. It didn't make me want to run out and binge on anything. And when we got home at dinner hour, I was back on my own eating plan. Um, the old me would have been, well, those weren't on your diet plan. You've blown it. So now you may as well just go to the store and buy all the things and have a great feed. And uh, so that strategy has helped me. I, I think as at the risk of repeating myself, um, I'm still black and white in my green, yellow, red boots. I don't I don't veer off of that. But as far as cutting myself some slack uh, in certain situations, I, I, I do that. And I do find um, that helpful. Um, yeah, so those are pretty much my coping skills, I guess. Um, I've learned to set some better boundaries and I learned so much. I do most of the courses through Sweet Sobriety and there's so many things to learn so much to learn about yourself and, and uh, tips on making this lifestyle work for you.
0: Do you think um, with, I don't know what the term you personally use for, a, are you a food addict or whatever, however you phrase that I, or I have food addiction. I prefer I have food addiction as opposed to, I am a food addict, but for you, are you th- do you think there are some things that people don't understand about what that means? Like what addiction means?
1: As far as, well, when I did the scale testing early on in the audit, I was like end-stage addiction. I've not done it again since, and I was part of a discussion on that recently. I'm not sure if it was one of the groups or one of the classes. And to redo it, uh, I probably wouldn't be end-stage anymore. I am a food addict. When I read Potatoes Not Prozac, and that was in the early 90s, a coworker and I had been reading it reading it at the same time, and we used to discuss our issues. And I remember saying to her then, I'm a food addict, not even knowing what it meant. I just knew I had no control over certain substances. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. Sorry, yeah, I, I, I guess just, what it was. Bro-
0: I think a lot of people are scared of and I'm using air quotes they can't see us but I'm using air quote diagnosis you know that that I am a food addict or I have food addiction or they don't want to be labeled that way so I was just trying to see how you felt about that labeling or the diagnosis
1: or however you want yeah, to call for it. me I think it's brought me some measure of peace because I have an answer as to what my problem is it's not that I'm lazy or or I don't like the word stupid, but uh, you know, can't be bothered or don't want to put the work in. It's not for any of those reasons. My ba- brain chemistry has been messed up both through my genes and a lifetime of abusing foods. I mean, for for a little girl to eat the way I ate makes no sense. I mean, there was never a deprivation of food in our house. There was always, always lots of food to eat. Meals were plentiful. But I do think the emotional deprivation contributed to it a lot. I mean, I can, re- I don't try to tell a lot of stories, but I can remember as a little girl, I spent a lot of my time in my room in the evenings, especially if it was my dad's day off, because you know how he came home. And it scared me. And my mom did, dealt with it the best she could, but she was raised in a, not a great emotional environment either. She had a sister, and she never measured up to the sister, and her mother made her well aware of that. So my mom didn't know how to help me learn to deal with emotions. And so I turned to the food. And so, yeah, I feel I've been addicted probably all my life. But I also, I do tell this story. I remember, I have my baby book from when I was born, and mom fed us all formula breastfeeding just wasn't the big deal it was today back then and the formula for my feeding was carnation milk with so much water and corn syrup that's what and i've mentioned that in other group in some conversations with other people and they have the same memories so it was carnation milk diluted and corn syrup added to it any wonder i'm sugar at it like yeah just, get us, get us addicted early, and then, yeah, we're like, like, like right from an hour old, like just horrendous. Like, but I mean, they did what they were told, and they did what they knew. And even now yeah. with our daughter, like I, there's she's just I've got so many issues. We're in Canada, and she's she can't get anywhere with her vision. She's going to Detroit in two weeks' time to another vision center. She's a fighter. She's she does her research and she does her reviews, and she's not willing to accept what she's being told here. And it just, I get so frustrated because it's not like we're in a third world country. You know, the healthcare is good till it isn't. And uh, yeah. So but back then you took things at face value and you just accepted. I mean, I lost a sister, my oldest sister. Uh, she was five and a half and she'd been sick for years. And the family doctor uh, was away this time. And Gail took, sick again and mom and dad took her to the fill and he looked at mom and he said how long has she been like this and, and mom told him i mean mom was a young young mom not excuse not that it's an excuse but you just did what your doctors said anyway he looked at mom and he said she has six weeks to live and that's all she lived she had wow. chronic polynephritis both kidneys were shot and her wow. regular gp had never picked up on it now i mean that was in 1961 but still medicine continued to advance so um yeah
0: yeah yeah wow so you touched on this a little a while ago but i'm going to bring you back a little bit because i'm kind of interested to know who who were your biggest influences in your recovery journey
1: oh that's easy molly and clarissa i've said that before um until i met them it was just all noise and chatter in my head. I would follow this doctor and that doctor. And I still do listen to some of them on, on uh, the internet, but, and for the most part, the ones I chose maybe because I'm lucky, had basically the same consensus with keto and eating and, and, but I never had the emotional component or the community component like I have with sweet sobriety and, uh, Yeah, they've just been huge influences on my life and all of you guys in the meetings too, all influence me in many different ways uh, to continue to, you know, on the days that I might feel like I'm I could flounder uh, because I don't know if I'll ever not have days or moments, not even days necessarily now, but moments where it's like, oh, you know, am I going to get through this? Am I going to? Am I going to continue with my sobriety? Um, I just bring up the vision of one of your guys' faces, or Molly, or Clarissa, or uh, Shirley, or Daryl, or any of them, and I just feel empowered again. So because not being are... sorry, yeah, I was just going to say, sure. not being alone is huge. I did it alone. I said that to your brother uh, right after his his heart attack. Um, I tried to do this alone. All my life and it just didn't work. And through the audit and then the subsequent coach media, monthly coachings has made me aware that I can't do it alone. I need the support.
0: Yeah. Well, that I uh, actually that's a, a good thing because a lot of the listeners might not know about your community. They don't know it necessarily know what sweet sobriety is. So tell us a little bit about your community.
1: Uh sweet sobriety uh was now I don't know if I have it all right, Molly and Clarissa were the leaders of trying to get food addiction recognized by the DSM, which is the diagnostic tool for addictions. They ran the food research audits in, well, my time was, uh, I joined in May of 22. I think I was the last one. So they had run a few subsequent to that. And through those 10 weeks, we learned Quite a few uh, coping skills, and uh, they now offer what's called the foundations, which is a much more enhanced portion of what I learned during those ten weeks. But through that, it gave me uh, knowledge, power in myself, um, tools to use. And then in that fall, I don't know if they were Sweet Sobriety then. I can't remember. to you? But anyway, in the fall, they formed Sweet Sobriety or brought on the monthly coachings and through that there's five a week that I can attend at all various times and you pay for those and it's only 25 American a month. I I blew that and probably twice that on junk many, many times over. So it's, it's, you know, it's not much money. Through the meetings, again, I continue to learn from other people's struggles and other people's uh, uh, things that they learn about themselves. And it's just the community of like-minded people uh, that at the end of the day, the food is the problem, uh, causing most of their struggles. I had, it was funny, I remember telling Molly, I went to the retreat in Toronto last fall And because I'd had such a tumultuous, emotionally charged summer and fall, um, I had made the decision and I wasn't getting to a lot of meetings, but they are recorded and I do watch every one. And I had made the decision mentally, I'll go to Toronto because I've committed to this, but I'll see when I come home. I may dropped the coaching. Well, I was only there a few hours and just like, no, I'm keeping the coaching because that's the most awesome group of people I've ever met in my life. And I am a bit of a loner. I have some good friends, but not a lot. And there's nothing that says you need a lot, but these are my people. And I, I'm just so thankful to have found them. And you, uh, yes, you're part yeah. of them.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> What um what does your daily life look like? Um uh, well actually let's do it this way. What is what did your life look like before you found recovery? What was a daily life like?
1: With my eating, you mean? Or yeah, yeah just
0: bef- before you recovered, before you got into recovery, what was what was it like for you on a day a day to day basis? We've talked about the chatter, but what did that look like
1: in your world? Oh, constant eating constant eating and then berating myself because I ate the food. I would go out special. I've been off on permanent disability with my shoulder since 2007 and home alone all day didn't serve me well. I would, I would go out and buy food and come home and binge. Um, the more I ate, the worse I felt, the more I, you know, and then I'd I've always, we've always been very family oriented and we're very fortunate. Our three adult children and their families live locally. So nobody's hours and hours or thousands of miles away. And so we do spend a lot of time together as family. Um, A lot of it was centered around food and I made all the things. Now I pre-plan and um, depending on what the event is or what the meal is going to be, Uh, Like, as an example, my first Christmas two years ago, we always do pizza on Christmas Eve, and our daughter was hosting that year. And so I made my own uh, almond flour crust pizza before we went, took it with me and popped it in the microwave. That's where I come with the pre-planning. Now my days, we're busy. We're on the go a lot. Um, We attend 90% of all the games that the grandchildren play. We have four hockey players a dancer, a a couple of swimmers, uh, baseball in the summer, golf, we take it all in, um, but I plan my food around the day. Okay, a game's at five, so I'll eat before I go, rather than let myself get hungry and have the risk of making a poor choice on the way home. Um, and I don't think about food. I just I just know like I do a lot of batch cooking. I have stuff prepared ahead of time. There's always something in the fridge I can grab and eat at a, at a moment's notice. Uh if I if it's a quiet day, I plan a you know a meal to cook fresh. Um, but I just don't have the noise around the eating. It's just not central to my day anymore. One time it was. It was all about the eating. Where are we gonna go? What am I gonna get? Now it's well, I need to feed my body so let's stop and grab a bite and I'll make the best choice. I mean, I never have dessert. I never go down that road. But like I mentioned with fish and chips, I'll make that choice occasionally as opposed to, well, it doesn't always have to be a salad and chicken anymore. Like my old brain used to say it had to be. All
0: right. How do you continue to maintain and prioritize your recovery on a daily basis? I guess you touched on
1: that a little bit, but yeah. What
0: other things? Well again, I've
1: care? I've made my self-care um paramount. It's first in my mind. I have to look after myself to be here for my family. Uh I pre-plan food. Um I don't know every morning when I get up what I'm going to have, but I know there's options. It's not flying by the seat of my pants anymore. Um I take in what meetings I can each week because they're a huge part of my, of my ongoing success. Um, yeah, and I just continue to learn. I read, I listen, and uh, but it's always been an interest of mine too. i I, I was a nursing assistant years ago, and I've always had an interest in the medical and the the details. And so I I'm always listening, and reading, and learning on that avenue too, which strengthens my resolve even more especially when I read things uh, that reinforce what I may have heard from um reputable uh authorities on it whether it's a doctor or or a nurse I follow, or it's usually always science-based which I like too it's not uh just someone coming up with a, an internet thought
0: yeah I I like there's several um, that I follow. Psychologists too. I'm always interested in what's going on with the brain. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Uh, what are you still personally working on
1: in your recovery? Well, I always say I'm a work in progress, and I'll never be done. Um, I I am I am working on the meditating a bit more. I I have heard and know I re- I believe that it it is very beneficial with our healing. Um, And so I'm doing the Befriending Your Body uh, program with Clarissa right now. And uh, I I, I don't know if you were there yesterday or not when I shared on meeting, but I've just felt antsy lately and with different emotions. And I think it's uh, twofold. I think it's the Befriending Your course is making me go from my head into my body. And I never knew what that meant until I started this. And I'm also doing the gene reset with Brenda. You're, you're part of that as well. And I'm slowly starting to tweak some things with my eating. And one of them is counting macros. And I detest counting macros. That's up there with journaling. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm going to make the uh, change the environment and see if it makes a difference, I've got to do that. And so... um those are things I'm working on. Um, it's brought up some—I won't say negative emotions, but uh, making me feel some things that I haven't made let myself feel. I guess in regards to the befriending and and uh, having lost my mom and what our daughter's gone through and um, helping with the newborn and and uh, I've kept busy and not. Uh, allowed myself to feel some things, and so that's that's a huge challenge. I'm working on that now, and it's going to be a work in progress probably the rest of my life.
0: Yes, I understand that. I definitely understand yeah. that. So we're gonna we're gonna wind it down here, and I'm gonna ask you our signature question: If your body or spirit could speak, what would you what would it say about the changes you have made on your journey?
1: Yeah, I've thought about this as well. And I think the first thing it would tell me would be that I've got this. You've got this, girl. You always knew in your heart you could do it. You just needed the right um, tools to help strengthen your resolve and your resilience. And I think my spirit would also say that it's very proud of me uh, because there was a lot of self-doubt and a lot of self-hatred and a lot of all the negative emotions over the years because I had never managed to accomplish the freedom. And I feel like I have. That's amazing.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining me today, Debbie. It's been awesome talking to you and getting to know your story
1: better. Thank you. It's been an honor.
0: Thank you for joining me this week for Food Junkies Recovery Stories. Make sure you join our Facebook group, Sugar Free for Life Support Group. I'm Sweet Enough. Please subscribe to our show so that you never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in today's story, we would appreciate a ratings on iTunes. If you've been inspired by today's show and would like to be a guest, please reach out through the email provided in the show notes. If you have additional questions, CJ is a food addictions professional and works one-on-one with clients. You can find her email address and website in the show notes. Thank you for joining us.